BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hello and welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman and today's episode is a conversation with Professor of Psychology Gail Heyman from the University of California, San Diego, who is a researcher in various areas of human cognition, among them, how children learn how to lie. We often think about lying as the worst thing, and we really want our children to be honest with us, to, above all else, know that they can trust us and tell us the truth. But lying can be much more complicated than that. And actually, being able to lie requires a lot of mental skills. So let's listen to this conversation. And this is the beginning of a lot of discussions we'll have about lying and responding to lying. But first, we're going to dive into how children discover how to deceive. And don't forget to stick around for listener questions and answers. So the first thing that I wanted to just get into is that a lot of parents of young children witness their first Um, hints of lying or deception and go immediately into panic about what it means. What I want to cover is how can parents understand the developmental processes involved in even having the ability to deceive? I'd love to walk through that so that you can help us understand what your research is about kind of the beginning of understanding lying And then we can go from there once we understand what's at play developmentally. Lying is really interesting in part because it involves like cognitive sophistication, but also involves a lot of moral issues. And, you know, I think a lot of people really focus on the moral aspect of it and get angry at their children for telling lies. And in our research, a lot of parents tell us that that's the worst thing their child could ever do Mm -hmm. and um, that they tell their children lying is never okay. But then they also tell us that they lie to their own children a lot. So I just think this is a super complicated thing for children to figure out. And the cognitive aspect of it, I think, is really underappreciated how if you tell a lie and you lie well, um, you're basically having to really understand what's inside somebody else's head, which we're always doing as adults, we're always thinking about what other people are thinking. But if you think of it from a child's perspective, a young child, like how can they ever figure out what's in somebody else's head when it's invisible? Mm -hmm. And it's a super sophisticated part of human cognition is our ability to reason about the minds of others. And you have to be pretty good at it to to tell a lie in a way that anyone's ever going to believe. So it shows that you have cognitive sophistication if you can do that. 
Um, and then you also have to do something called executive control, which is you can think of executive control as like the air traffic control system of your mind. And you're constantly having to monitor what you're doing, what you're saying, inputs, outputs. And in this case, you have to block yourself from revealing the truth while you're lying. That's one of the reasons when people talk about it's bad to lie because it's hard to keep track of. When you're telling the truth, you don't have to mentally keep track of a lot of things in the way you do when you're telling a lie. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of is evidence that children are capable of doing these things. If parents can in the early years, not look at a three and a half year old who's just figuring out deception as the beginning of growing a little liar, then there's another work to be done about getting across how to raise kids who understand what lying is and not give the mixed messages that we give so that they, when they do get to an age where lying really can be destructive, that we've already kind of planted those seeds properly. Right. And I I may think it's very tricky because a lot of parents are telling children lying is always bad, never lie. But then they get mad at, they not only lie to their own children, but that they um, expect their children to lie. So it's it's a very complicated thing. And I think part of what I want to do is just get parents to see how complicated it is for children. You know, they want to give this simple message of never lie. But then, you know, if the child's grandmother gives them some socks that the child thinks are hideous and the child just blurts out the blunt truth of, oh, those are so ugly, a lot of parents are very angry about that. And it's a very, it's very difficult for adults, too, in so many ways to navigate, you know, when is it okay to, to tell a lie? And most adults, even that believe truth-telling is really, really important, will give some circumstances in which... My main priority is to just get adults to see, hey, you know, this is this is not as simple as it might seem. And when you're giving your children these simple messages, it's hard for you. And imagine what it's like for a young child who's just trying to figure out the minds of others and just trying to figure out what is okay and is not. And to, as children get older, to have sophisticated discussions about this. I mean, I'm a big fan of when you read children's books or other kinds of hear about stories of other family members, you can use those to have really great discussions about what you believe and why and to to really get children to think deeply about these issues rather than, hey, something that factually is untrue is is just always wrong. And it's even interesting. I mean, even so when I do research on parents lying to children, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to define a lie. And this is one thing that I found fascinating in doing this is you know, we started off the research by asking parents about things that they say to their children that aren't true. And parents say a lot of things to their children that aren't true, but that might have a grain of truth to them, or maybe they really kind of believe. Like if you say, you know, the dog, when the dog died, the dog is going to doggy heaven. Maybe you kind of believe it might be, and you're going to make the child happy. Maybe you say, eat your spinach and you're going to grow up big and strong. And it's like, well, sort of, you know, and so, so, it, so it gets really messy. We had one mother in a study of ours who said, I told my son that I have eyes in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. He got older. He understood that I meant it as a metaphor. And I was like, so is that a lie or isn't it? Right. That doesn't even get into all the questions about um, the cultural kinds of things like Santa Claus, Tooth Fairy, those kinds of things. And most people we talk to say they're not lies, but it is telling children things you don't believe. And 
So it's it's a messy area for kids to figure out. Right. And I wonder how different kids respond based on how the lie was revealed or if it really was that in the early years, you know, we actually just talked about this and I think about it all the time when it comes to remaining true to the magic of childhood and capturing the magic of childhood by being able to engage in fantasy play and that that isn't lying as long as you're clear and comfortable with the evolution of what a child is going to understand and believe as they get older. And it's developmentally appropriate for a tooth fairy and a magical Santa or whatever it is that you're talking about to be part of the discussion. And then as kids start to question, that's when you need to start to treat them with a little bit more care because if you just continue as they're becoming critical thinkers to just explicitly say that this fantasy exists, then you might get a kid who is feeling a little bit betrayed if they hit their later elementary school years and it's still, you know, there's no acknowledgement that maybe, you know, with a smile or something that, well, you know, what do you believe? So I think that that's really a struggle for parents. It's January 2020. The year 2020 shows up a lot in science fiction. A lot of people predicted that by now we'd be teleporting to work or living on Mars. And a lot of those predictions were wrong. The reality is we'll always get the future wrong, which is why we need to get insurance right. That's where Policy Genius can help. Policy Genius makes finding the right insurance a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. You can save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare insurance policies. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all of that horrible and confusing and overwhelming paperwork and red tape. And Policy Genius makes all insurance easy. They can help you with life insurance, home insurance, auto insurance or disability insurance. So, if your science fiction dreams for 2020 still haven't become science fact, don't get discouraged about all of the choices out there and what to do and what to get right and then just avoid doing any of it. Get insurance. It just takes a few minutes. Just find your best price and apply at policygenius.com. Policygenius.com. Policy Genius will always get the future wrong better to get life insurance right. Hi guys, my name is Sarah Nicole and I am the host of the Papaya Podcast, where each week we dish out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom all through candid conversations in a very real and tangible way. I want everyone to know that they're not alone and that we share in these experiences called life. And sometimes when we get to know somebody else's story, it changes ours a little bit as well. So I want you to tune in with us on Mondays. Subscribe, rate and review it and keep these conversations going with us. You can tune in behind the scenes at the Papaya Podcast and the birds with Fire on Instagram as well. Can't wait to see you next week. You know, one of the things that got me interested in this, there were actually many things that got me interested in this topic, but one thing was a personal experience when I was young. I actually really believed in the tooth fairy. And when I was in kindergarten, I was defending the tooth fairy. I, I still remember this really well. My classmates were saying there was no tooth fairy and I was defending the existence of the tooth fairy to my classmates. And in the process of defending the tooth fairy, I realized that I was completely wrong and that there was no tooth fairy. Uh-huh. And then I was very embarrassed in front of my classmates. And then I went home and asked my dad, I remember, 
okay, this is what happened. Is there really a tooth fairy? And he told me the truth at that point, but I was really embarrassed to go back to school after I had put all this energy into defending the tooth fairies. And I don't think it's necessarily going to like harm kids for life for doing it, but I do think it's nice to be empathic towards children about just how complicated it is to navigate this domain. And it, and like I said, I keep, I think for adults, too, I mean, one thing that I'm doing, this is for us, letters of recommendation season for students. And ah. so I'm writing dozens of students and everyone wants you to rank, is this person in the top 1%, 2%, 3%? And, you know, you're rating an average student. And what do you do if you say that they're average? You know, you're, you know, everyone else is exaggerating. So then are you going to put them at a disadvantage? So there's just all kinds of dilemmas throughout our lives that we're dealing with. And, and I just think that, you know, as I said, to be empathic rather than just sort of yelling at children every time they say something that isn't true is, is a good approach. What's the earliest you see deception in that three and a half? It differs by different children, but yeah, it's around the time they turn three is when, when it starts emerging. I'd say, yeah, maybe three and a half for the average children. And so, and they need certain, they've, they've had to go through these certain developmental milestones to be able to have the tools, so to speak. Right, right. So if they can understand. We actually find, by the way, that when we, we, in other research that we, when you teach children how to deceive in a game context, Mm -hmm. it actually promotes their cognitive skills. Okay. So that's interesting. So should you be playing poker with your kids to promote their cognitive skills while also explaining that like lying in a game is for the purposes of, you know, that everybody knows what's going on? How could you give an example? Yeah. I mean, the games that we teach, I mean, it's not as sophisticated as poker, but it is like, you know, playing a game where the child, we're going to play a game and I'm going to guess where it is and you have to tell me where it is. And, and basically if, if you play, teach children to play tricks on people, it makes them more sophisticated in terms of thinking about others' minds and some of these other kinds of skills. So, you know, it's still, I'm not saying I have the answer to it. It's interesting that if you do the study where you actually teach kids how to lie in a deception game, they do have these greater sophistication, um, at least right afterwards. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some parents would still say that, well, that's terrible because you're sort of saying it's okay to, to lie. But a lot of people would say, well, are bluffing games immoral if the child knows it's a game? I don't have all the answers to it, but I just think it's interesting that that these things are interconnected. Like you need the skills in order to lie, but then the lying actually helps you practice these kinds of skills in a way that makes you improve at them. You want to think about, like you can't even take the perspective of another person without getting really good at the developmental understanding of that other people think thoughts that are not the same as yours. Exactly. So we want to build that. And yet everybody feels so strongly that if you even play a deception game, then what kind of a message is that? We want we want people to care about other people's feelings and really, um, you know, people who are honest all the time, at least in terms of blurting out the blunt truth, are not well liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we want our children to be well liked and have good social skills. And yet we also don't want to teach them that. Well, you can always come up with some excuse for lying either, right? So if you're right. just like, oh, it's okay if you're protecting someone's feelings, then it's really easy for a child to sort of learn Take that, that oh, too far. Well, I can just I can just say I'm doing it to protect someone else when you're really doing it for yourself and sort of it just takes a lot of critical analysis skills and I guess just 
you know, talking about these things and thinking about these things, you want a child to be really sophisticated in terms of them thinking about it, but also to realize that lying is, is deeply problematic and there's all kinds of reasons not to lie. And so is there an alternative? Because I think some people automatically lie. It's just kind of what pops into their head and to think about, well, why is that a problem? And yeah, it's just, it's such a tricky area for, for all of us, I think. I often think the the one where it really does seem to confuse um, all of us is young children have trouble distinguishing what is appropriate to say and what's not appropriate to say. And a lot of times what's inappropriate, you know, could be confused with deception if they don't say it or if they imply something else. And so I often say that kids can say whatever they want to their parents. But when you're talking with other people, sometimes you want to think, is it an inside my head thought or is it a thought that should go out in the world? And that means that you have to consider what it might feel like to hear that thought from the other person. And it doesn't mean you have to deceive them or lie, but you just might not need to say everything that you're thinking. Right. You know, how can you explain white lies? Is it, uh, is there another word for it that would help it be easier to swallow, I wonder. Just talking to children about, you know, when they see you tell a white lie and they know it's a white lie, sort of talking to them about, you know, here's why I did it. I think this, you know, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about that to get them to think about the different considerations Mm -hmm. involved because it definitely, sometimes I think it's, it's especially confusing when parents don't talk about it, but they snap at children when they make the wrong decision in these contexts. Right. So the thing is to have good conversations so that you're explaining and not just confusing. Right. And give your, give children a chance to disagree and, and give their perspective. But I think if they get in the habit of sort of thinking about these things in a deep way, I think that's, that's probably the best we're going to do. And, Um, and, you know, to talk about them, one thing is that it's very hard for children to get some of these messages when they feel like they're under attack. mm -hmm. So if the parent is like, talking about lying in the context of you told this lie and let's talk about why you were so bad. I think that's not a great learning moment for children because when children feel like someone's telling them they're bad, their defenses get up. I mean, it's the same for us too, right? When someone tells you you're bad, it's not a great learning moment. And so one of the things I encourage people to do is have learning moments that aren't going to make the child feel defensive. And that's why I think it's often better to talk about other people Like, you know, someone tells you about, you can tell them about something you heard from a friend of a friend about something that happened and have a discussion about it in a way that can lead to this sort of insight and really thinking about what's important and discussing values in ways that can help them become more sophisticated and develop good values um, without, like I said, sort of coming up with something that you, you grind in your heels to defend yourself for why you did what you, you can use them for good or for evil, right? Mm -hmm. We know people who have really good social skills who use them to really take advantage of people. And we also know people who have really good social skills who use them for really good things. So, so I, I think, I think of them as separate, the skills and the values, and they're both important, but, um, but definitely being a good, liar is probably associated with good social skills. So that's why it's really important to, if you, when you separate the skills from the values and really talk to your kids when they're not in a defensive space. I often, I I think another thing that happens is that parents catch their kids lying as if they've, you know, they wanted to. So when you know your child is going to lie potentially, rather than asking them, did you brush your teeth or did you eat that cookie, just stating 
oh, you haven't brushed your teeth yet so that we stop catching them. Exactly. I think that's a really, really important point. You just focus on the behavior instead of on the line. Exactly. Anytime okay. you have time, I would love, love, love to interview you about any of the things I'll that you're working on. I'll tell you one other one that I'm excited about now, and then you can interview me about it later because we're figuring it out. But what children learn through overheard conversations is, is uh, doing that's now. so good. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, so you can, you can ask me about, we're figuring some things out with that. You can ask me later about that one. I'm on shrooms again. Nope, not what you're thinking, the legal kind. But these mushrooms are still magic. Everyday magic, you might say. This episode of Raising Good Humans is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, a wellness company that mixes shrooms and adaptogens with coffee, cacao, latte, protein powder, and my new favorite, edible skincare. Not because I'm eating the skincare products. I'm actually not. But the fact that they're so healthy for you that what you're putting on your skin can go in your body feels really quite relaxing. And it's really good. They have anti-redness. They have a mask that you just could eat but won't and makes your skin look good. Let's say you're feeling like you need a little hydration or a little calming of the red. That's when you pull out your for a Sigmatic skincare mask. And did you know that 64% of Americans drink coffee daily? Are you one of those 64% of Americans? I am. Well, if you drink Four Sigmatic mushroom coffee, and I've said before, mushroom coffee is more than just coffee. It, first of all, tastes nothing like mushroom, and there are different flavors. So you can have cacao, you can have your own turmeric latte, a regular latte. And fun fact, lion's mane mushrooms have long been used by the Buddhist monks to help them with focus during meditation. It's made with 100% organic coffee beans. It's got no sugar, no carbs, no calories. It's organic, vegan, paleo, sugar-free, dairy-free. You can put it on your face, not the coffee, but the mask. And Four Sigmatic Mushroom Coffee has half the caffeine of regular coffee. And it's truly magical. It's easy to use packets. You can just take anywhere with you, stash them in your bag, put them in your pocket. And of course, there's a special offer for the Raising Good Humans audience. Receive 15% off your Four Sigmatic order. Just go to foursigmatic.com slash humans or enter the code humans, H-U-M-A-N-S, at checkout. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash humans to receive 15% off your order. And now for listener questions and answers. The first question is, I've been reading a lot about respectful parenting, but my child is 16 months old and it seems there isn't much info on setting limits before ages two to three. I'm curious about when setting limits comes into play. When is it developmentally appropriate for limits to be set? That's a great question. And limit setting starts pretty early, long before age two. Think about when your toddler is in the high chair throwing food on the floor and you let them know the food goes on the table or in your mouth. That's a limit. Or having a bedtime or a bedtime routine. That's a limit. These are ways that you let your child know what you expect of them and 
what the routines are and how their day is going to go and certain behaviors that are acceptable and some that are not. And the difference is that sometimes what you think is limit setting is yelling or telling kids no. And really in any age range, limit setting is much more about teaching kids the boundaries and the expectations. And it's not about just saying no, punishing or anything like that. So in terms of when is it developmentally appropriate to set limits, it's always developmentally appropriate to set limits. The limits, however, need to make sense need to be gently explained with few words and certainly body language more than anything because they're still at 16 months just learning receptive language. They know a lot more. They understand a lot more than we sometimes realize and certainly more than they can express. So their receptive language is what they understand, but you want to add gestures and body language to let them know what those limits are. For example, where their food needs to go, or if they're going towards a plug socket, you can put your hand over the plug socket and say, no touch and redirect them somewhere else. So the only time I would recommend a no is if it's to protect them from really getting hurt or hurting someone else. Mostly limit setting at this age is about redirecting them to show them the behaviors that you expect and what you want them to do. There is no punishment or yelling necessary. This next question is actually about lying with older kids. So this question says, I have an eight-year-old who I catch lying quite a bit and I have no idea how to handle it appropriately and ultimately to teach her to stop. She can be so convincing when she's denying the lie and real tears in her eyes come out and she's begging me to believe her, but I will then discover that she was lying. I'm at the point where sometimes I truly don't know if she's lying or telling the truth and I will just assume it's a lie, which is not how I want to parent. Any suggestions with this would be so appreciated. Thank you. It can be really upsetting to look into your child's eyes and see what seems like the truth and they really are so hoping that you believe them only to find out that they're lying. So I'm so sorry. I do think that there are circumstances where kids believe what they're telling you is true, whether that's because they're forgetful or they're not paying attention, or it's because they want to believe it so badly. So most of the time, there are circumstances around a lie that you need to understand before you can figure out how to respond. Other things that might be part of it are afraid to get caught. It may be that when they do tell the truth, the the consequences are too hard for them to handle. Some kids who are perfectionists don't want to be busted getting anything wrong. So there are many reasons. The important thing is to assess what kind of lie it was. Was it a lie of forgetfulness? Was it a lie to avoid a confrontation? Was it a lie because they forgot something? And then let your child know And I said this before in the podcast conversation with Professor Heyman, let your child know that you know the truth. You just explicitly say, hey, I saw that you didn't put your homework in your bag and you left it on the table. What's your plan for tomorrow? 
rather than saying, did you turn your homework in today? So that's also important because you're setting them up not to lie when you just position, here's what I know to be true. If you think that your child is lying to you and you didn't phrase the question or get into a situation where you asked them in a way to lie to you, then you can always say to them, hey, I think we need to do a do-over. We need to have a redo. I'm going to let you think about this for a few minutes, relax, take a deep breath, and I'm going to come back in a few minutes and I'll ask you again. And you can change your story. No consequences there. I understand that sometimes you might forget. You might need a little time to remind yourself what happened. I'll come back. Always give your child a chance to have a redo and tell you the truth. Because if they're always scared of a fight about lying and you always get into a cycle of assuming that they're lying, it can get just worse and worse and grow. And the other thing is, if a child tells you an exaggerated story, you can also not turn it into an intense moment. You can say, hmm, it sounds like that might be what's, a, what's called a tall tale. So I think you can try again and tell me what really happened. And this way, you're not saying like, oh my God, you just did the most horrible thing. All I need from you is honesty and you betrayed me or any of that. What you're saying is lighter. You're just saying, you know what? I don't know if I, I don't know if that's going to work. Why don't we just do a do-over? And again, giving your child the opportunity to be honest. And of course, at a later time, not in the heat of the moment, you can always go back and talk about different kinds of reasons for lying or what you might define as or perceive as a lie that they didn't, et cetera. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and write a little review. And keep on sending direct messages on my Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast. And I'm going to be gone for the next couple of weeks taking my own break. And I hope you enjoy yourselves. Have a beautiful, happy, healthy, and joyful holiday. Whatever you're celebrating or not celebrating, enjoy that break and happy new years. And I'll be back on January 10th. Thank you for listening.